0: we yeah. Welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm Tim Moore, your host and the Senior Evangelist of Lamb & Lion Ministries. Our Jesus in the Old Testament series has arrived at two books that were written by prophets who were among the Jewish exiles in Babylon. Haggai and Zechariah emphasize the urgency of returning to the Lord and returning to Israel to rebuild the temple and worship Him in their own land. I'm excited to be joined today by a man who wears many hats. Steve Todvine is a graduate of Asbury University and Northwestern University Medical School. A practicing doctor, he is a hospital administrator in Kentucky and serves on a variety of corporate and nonprofit boards, including the Board of Trustees of Lamb & Ministries. Steve, I'm always reminded of the Gospel writer Luke whenever we're together because, in addition to being a physician, He, like you, was glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ in all he said and did, and and that's obvious whenever I'm around you as well. Well, that's very kind of you, Tim, and
1: pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Now, see, I I thought, Steve, perhaps you would be joining us from Kentucky, but based on your surroundings there, at least the background, where are you or at least what is represented behind you?
1: Well, I am in Kentucky at the moment, but I chose for the background here on zoom a photo i took a few years ago actually on the ruins of babylon here i had the opportunity to visit iraq twice in the last few years i was uh, working with a hospital there in karbala so uh, these these are the ruins of the city of babylon with some partial restoration really directed i think uh, initially by saddam hussein but uh, remarkable to me uh, reading the passage from Isaiah chapter 13 and Babylon will never be inhabited again. And uh, it, is, it is desolate uh, as you can see in this photo.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, we could have a whole other show talking about some of the voluntary work that you do around the world, impacting uh, people groups uh, in parts of the world that many people would think very dangerous, but you go there sharing not only your skills as a physician, but the love of Christ. And so again, we may have to have a, a separate conversation about that someday. But today, we want to jump into these two books, Haggai and Zechariah, that that may seem to many to have very little in common, but in fact, they were contemporaries who both advocated for the Jewish exiles to remember. They wanted the Jewish people to remember. Haggai called on the exiles to remember returning to the promised land, in other words, to remember their commitment to rebuild the temple, and Zechariah, whose very name literally means God remembers. Urge the people to remember why the nations of Israel and Judah had been disciplined. What, what do you have to say about these two individual prophets?
1: Oh, well, it's a beautiful depiction in both of these books. And strikes me even looking at this uh, background of, of Babylon. You had Zechariah who lived here in Babylon and Haggai probably as well. And they left what at the time was... Uh, you know, the height of, of the world at that time, probably the most populous city in the world. And they returned to a town that had been destroyed and the temple ransacked. And at the time, they left glory and returned to, to, to shambles. But uh, today we know what we see in Jerusalem and what we see in Israel. We see God's promise, God's faithfulness, God's remembrance of his chosen people. What what we don't have today, uh, right now, is the temple. But uh, the, the comparison from uh, what we see here in Babylon and what we see today in, in Jerusalem is, is striking to me.
0: Well, before we dump, jump into Zechariah, which is the longer of these two particular books, let's consider Haggai for a few minutes. Uh, Haggai's prophecy can be very accurately dated because he ties the day that the word of the Lord came to him to specific days in the reign of king darius as a matter of fact the second year of his reign and darius of course was the king of persia so whether from chapter 1 verse 1 verse 15 from chapter 2 verse 1 from chapter 2 verse 10 he gives very specific dates and we know that these all happened within about a four-month period in the year 520 bc and haggai challenged the people who had returned from exile to get their priorities right in other words through him The Lord rhetorically asked, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, the temple of God, lies desolate? What a timely message for us today.
1: Yeah, one of the things that strikes me in in Haggai very early is uh, in verse 2, verse reads, this people says it's not time to rebuild. Uh, That people that group of people that society in their own minds decided it was not time to build and we look back through history so many times where this people was wrong this people um, made decisions in in complete defiance of god and here haggai uh, calls them back and zechariah as well too in his early words to uh to repent and return so a, a beautiful reminder uh in both the beginnings of both books there and confirmed uh, in the book of Ezra, as Ezra records the history, how the temple was constructed uh, with the urging of Haggai and Zechariah under the leadership of Zerubbabel.
0: Yes, powerful leadership and even Zerubbabel given a very key promise uh, for himself personally. I think another poignant insight from the prophet uh, Haggai, this so-called minor prophet, is a very emboldening statement that constitutes one of our other key verses. And that is, but now take courage, take courage and work. For I, the Lord, am with you. My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. And and I just say, wow, that's enough to make you want to jump out of the pews and shout hallelujah. Because even as we discern that the world is falling apart, we have the the assurance, as Jesus reflected. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I say Jesus, that's captured in, of course, 1 John 4, verse 4, but greater is he who is in us. And so what an emboldening promise.
1: Amen. In both books, uh, there's encouragement to, to work, to expend our energy, to make great effort in our service to the Lord. But in both books, it's not our effort that wins the day. It's the, the spirit at work within us, and it's the spirit who accomplishes it. So I think it's a, it's a beautiful uh, picture in our own Christian lives, but certainly replies, applies to uh, the history of Israel and God's plan for for all time. But uh, in my own life, that's a great reminder is, is to work, but don't attribute success to my work or don't assume that my work accomplishes success. It's uh, It's the Lord.
0: Well, Although Haggai is a very encouraging book, as we've just said, I want to turn our attention now to Zechariah, because what a powerful testimony he gives, not only as a prophet, but also as a priest who returned with the exiles to Judah in about 538 B.C. And again, he was a contemporary of Haggai, but wrote his book, we think, several years later in about 480 B.C. And so while we were corresponding about this book, you wrote Zechariah paints a truly wonderful, full, and vivid portrait of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Steve, what are some of the manifestations of Jesus that you see within this prophetic book?
1: Oh, it's incredible. Uh, Zechariah from beginning to end is about Jesus all the way through. Uh, But that's, that's Scripture, right? From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus all the way through. But in Zechariah, so many descriptions of Christ that we're familiar with from the New Testament. Uh, the one that came riding in on the foal of a donkey, the one who was pierced, uh, the one who will return, the one who was a servant, the the stone, the branch, also a conquering king. Uh, so many so many phrases uh, depicting Jesus, the one who was uh, uh, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. But uh, throughout, the, the Zechariah is just a panorama of the life of Christ and of the history of the world to that point and, and to come.
0: Well, all I can say is, wow, even as we scroll all those names that you're citing and others across the screen, what an amazing array of descriptions pointing to, again, the coming Messiah in Zechariah's day, but the Messiah we know of as Jesus Christ, and all in one minor prophet book. Uh, It it is amazing. The more I read through this and reread Zechariah
1: is... um, IT'S NOT A COMPLETE BIBLE, BUT IT'S A COMPLETE STORY. AND, and OVER AND OVER AGAIN it, IT POINTS US TO THE RESOLUTION OF HISTORY, TO THE ESTABLISHMENT OF JESUS' REIGN ON EARTH IN THE in the MILLENNIUM.
0: I APPRECIATE YOU SAYING THAT BECAUSE IT DOES HAVE AN ENCAPSULATED COMPLETE STORY RIGHT THERE WITHIN THAT ONE SINGLE BOOK. AND IT GIVES US A PREVIEW OF ALL OF GOD'S PLAN THROUGHOUT THE AGES. and AND SO WITH THAT IN MIND, IT'S OFTENTIMES PAINFUL FOR ME TO REALIZE that there are many pastors and many so-called theologians who attempt to deny the very important messages we find in these prophetic Scriptures, in these books of prophecy from the Old Testament, and here in the book of Zechariah in particular. And so in his book, God's Plan for the Ages, Dr. David Reagan shared the story of an evangelist and a seminary graduate at that who said to him, nothing in the book of Zechariah means what it says, because the whole book is apocalyptic. And when I think about that, that that statement itself doesn't even make sense.
1: You know, I I loved it when I read that book for the first time, because I I believe that appeared early in the book. I mean, sad, sad that so many pastors, theologians, seminarians would have that view. But uh, Dr. Reagan's response to that, uh, just just perfect. Um, First of all, apocalyptic simply means revelation. That's why it's called the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, our last book of the Bible. Apocalypse means revelation. So to say that Zechariah is apocalyptic, yes, it's revelation, it's divine revelation, but to say it doesn't mean what it says certainly denies the plain sense meaning of the entire book. And then as um, the late Charles Feinberg said, what is unspiritual about Jesus Christ returning to visibly and physically reign on earth? That's the kind of spiritual I'm uh, I'M LOOKING FORWARD TO EXPERIENCING.
0: AMEN. YOU KNOW, EVEN AS I THINK ABOUT THAT, ONE OF MY FAVORITE PASSAGES IN THIS BOOK AND ANOTHER OF OUR KEY VERSES IS ZECHARIAH 14.4 WHICH SAYS, IN THAT DAY HIS FEET WILL STAND ON THE MOUNT OF OLIVES. AND YOU AND I HAVE STOOD TOGETHER ON THE MOUNT OF OLIVES LOOKING DOWN OVER THE EASTERN GATE AND ONLY IMAGINING, BUT WE DON'T HAVE TO FULLY IMAGINE, IT'S DESCRIBED RIGHT HERE IN THIS PASSAGE WHEN JESUS CHRIST SETS FOOT AGAIN ON THE EARTH IN HIS GLORIOUS SECOND COMING he who ascended the Mount of Olives after his resurrection from the dead, of whom the angel said he would return again just the same way that he ascended to heaven, this same Jesus will once again stand on the Mount of Olives, returning at the end of that seven years of tribulation uh, to destroy the armies arrayed around uh, Israel, actually fighting against the Antichrist, but in antagonism toward the Jewish people and Jesus Christ, and he will establish his millennial reign from the throne of his father, David, there on Mount Zion. Every time I go there, my heart thrills because I can just visualize exactly what Zechariah is describing all the way through in chapter 14. I get excited about it, as you can tell, and as you saw when we were there together in the Holy Land. It, it's, it's wonderful.
1: You know, when I was uh, thinking about my um, formative years and um, growing up and uh, being in church on a regular basis. Uh, you know, frequently it seemed to be a message um, in a sermon or maybe in the in the Bible school classes, you know, the disciples, you know, um, silly, misguided disciples who were ex- uh, expecting an earthly Messiah who would set up his kingdom on earth. And, you know, the kind of the, the thought that went with it was, you know, they they didn't really understand. But when you read passages like in Zechariah here, and you you have the the verse speaking of his first coming, and then the second verse speaks of his second coming. You know the the verse uh, he comes riding in on the bull of a donkey, which he did, uh, coming down for the Mount of Olives, and then the next verse takes us forward to the future when he returns back to that Mount of Olives. But but I I have a better, I believe, a better sense and maybe. Uh, I'm assuming something that's not true, but I can imagine as the disciples understood these scriptures, uh, they they knew that this Messiah would be reigning over all the earth, but they didn't know the timing. And as he, as he rose, uh, ascended back to heaven from the Mount of Olives, and it, they asked just before that, Lord, are you going to set up the kingdom now? And then the angel told them, no, not now, but you'll see him returning in just the same way.
0: Yes, as a matter of fact, they were never... Uh, criticized for their expectation that He would set up a kingdom. Uh, It it thrills my heart to even imagine that thousand-year reign. And that also is described here within the book of Zechariah throughout the Old Testament as a time when peace will cover the earth, righteousness and holiness will mark uh, so many aspects of, of what we think of as even mundane. At the very end of Zechariah, he describes how even the uh, the bells on the horse's bridles and the pots in the Lord's house will be inscribed holy to the Lord. In other words, everything will be holy to the Lord when Jesus Christ reigns. I, I'm looking forward to that reign myself.
1: Amen. You know, even that last verse after that description, the last verse of the book seemed to be to my Initial perception seemed to be a bit anticlimactic after uh, uh, he's returned, as Peter said on the mountain of Olives, the enemies of Israel are defeated. He speaks peace into existence. But that last verse of, of the book, and there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of Hosts in that day. Um, some of the translations uh, will translate translate that word merchant. Uh, or a worthless person or an immoral person. But, but they thought of that as a, a merchant, uh, even a picture of Christ as He cleansed the temple of the of the money changers and the uh, the traders in the temple, but the temple will be completely pure and uh, His glory will, will fill it.
0: You know, you talk about Jesus purging the temple and driving out the money changers. I think we're given glimpses of other aspects of his His first coming ministry and His glorious second coming. Uh, As you cited to me earlier in chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. And there's that passage about Him coming on a colt, uh, the foal of a donkey. But over and over again, it speaks to Jesus coming triumphantly, and it doesn't say that He's going to speak comforting words to all the nations. He will rule with a rod of iron. And He will literally speak peace into existence by reigning, again, with absolute uh, control over the, the activity of the entire earth, and everyone will, will give Him the honor He is due. Some grudgingly, I would argue, but all will recognize Him as King of Kings in that glorious millennial reign. Amen. Amen. Well, I think it's important that we reiterate for our viewers, and just to make the point that these so-called minor prophets are not minor in terms of their revelation or their significance regarding prophecies pointing to the Messiah. They've been labeled minor because they're shorter than the so-called major prophets. But having said that, there is much to dive into. So tell us a little bit more about the man, Zechariah, even relative to the, uh, the picture behind you.
1: Well, probably born in Babylon, returned with uh, his great, with his grandfather, I should say, with his grandfather, Ido, from Babylon, probably in 538 when the decree had gone out from Cyrus that the the Jewish people could return. Uh, other passages in the Bible indicate his uh, father was actually Barakiah, may have been deceased by the point that uh, Zechariah returned. Oh, read about, we read about Zechariah again in uh, Matthew, where Jesus tells us, you know, he was murdered, uh, mm. between the temple and the altar. And my, my question there is it, it, why, why, uh, uh, a man who was uh, so close to, to God, who received direct revelation from the Lord, who, uh, was there to encourage the rebuilding of the temple, who was there to remind the Jewish people of, of the future and the future glory of Jerusalem and the Lord's uh, rule. And and um, you think about that, and, but you realize as, as many men and women of God uh, draw the wrath of those around them. But uh, the, the the thought of Zechariah being martyred, uh, as, as with any martyr, is uh, why. It, it makes uh, zero sense, uh, except that we live in, a, in an evil world.
0: Well, even you're saying that, Stephen, I hadn't thought about this, but that makes... Zechariah himself a type of Christ. In other words, he came proclaiming the Word of the Lord, calling people to remember uh, what they had covenanted with God and to restore His temple, restore worship of the one true and living God. And yet there's always going to be folks who come against that message, who, who denounce God's very prophetic voices to this day, and the ones who are calling people to repentance. And they rejected His Son, who came with a message of salvation with a message calling people back into relationship with God, and they killed him. So Zechariah becomes a type of Christ, even in his own demise. That's right. The only perfect one who ever
1: walked the earth uh, was hung on a cross.
0: Well, speaking another type of Christ, Zechariah, as you point out, was a priest, a priest who was serving in the temple when he died, but he describes a vision of a coming high priest who in one day would remove the iniquity of Israel. And obviously that's a clear reference to the Messiah and points not only to His work uh, at the cross, but obviously His second coming when all of these promises are realized.
1: Right, you see these uh, visions that uh, that Christ is the one who uh, will will bear the roles, will combine the roles all of, of prophet and priest and king and that he provides forgiveness he provides the cleansing of sin and then the in the vision of joshua the the high priest standing before the lord in, in filthy rags and satan accusing and the lord says i will remove that iniquity i will remove that iniquity in one day it, it's a it's a picture of israel as a nation and their, their future restoration but it's also a a picture of each of us, as it described Joshua there, a brand plucked from the fire. And and you and I and all who have entered a
0: relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been plucked from the fire. Thank God. Well, there's one other picture that I always uh, thrill about that is mentioned in Zechariah and also in, in Psalm, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 7, chapter 10, verse 4 mention a cornerstone or a topstone. And of course, Psalm 118.22 says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What do those references regard and, and how does that play out in the life of our Messiah? Well, you
1: know, we read the passage from the Psalms, from the, the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. Uh, Christ can be a, a foundation stone, a stone of building, a stone uh, stumbling and here in Zechariah is also at one point that this stone is described as having seven eyes which uh, indicate the omniscience and and the all-knowing of of Christ and and God the Father.
0: I think one of the keys that also helped me understand just from uh, an architectural standpoint is you think how do you take a stone that's been rejected and reinsert it as a foundational cornerstone that that is a a meaning that is insinuated but i think another meaning is to be a top stone or a keystone so when you go to israel when you go to some of these ancient lands that had arches built within their uh, their structure the most important stone the one that held everything else together was that stone that fit at the very top that all the other stones leaned in upon and if you take out that stone, the whole uh, edifice crumbles to, to the ground. And so the stone that was rejected becomes the stone that holds everything else together. And I think that is a beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior as well. It is so much there. It's um,
1: all all in all. It's, it's Christ. And you know, we, can, we can stumble over Him or, or He can be the foundation of our life.
0: Well, there's so many visions that we could pull out of this book, and quite frankly, we ought to come back and revisit them in greater detail at another time. But, but, Steve, what would be some closing thoughts that you would like to share regarding the application, the practical applications of Zechariah in particular, let alone Haggai, to us in today's day and age? Well, the, the theme throughout, uh, really both books,
1: I mean, they're speaking of the immediate, immediate uh, rebuilding of the, the temple, but they're, they're both speaking of events yet to come, of the future uh, glory of Jerusalem and, and Christ reigning and and the final resolution of the tribulation and the onset of the millennium. So they're, they're both pointing us forward to the future in anticipation. So I think that's overall the main theme and what we ought to be taking away and what we ought to be concentrating on each day but really great practical um applications for uh our our daily christian life in both of them Uh, zechariah begins with uh, a call to repentance that's where we all began our christian walk uh repentance forgiveness and then service Uh, we're, we're called to work we're encouraged to work we're encouraged to work with great energy but in that to recognize that we're only empowered by the spirit by the holy spirit and then our service our service that we give to the lord that's empowered by the spirit uh the next that we really haven't talked about today was a really fascinating little story here in zechariah with this delegation from bethel to come ask about fasting and and the lord just rebukes them through zechariah and says was it was it actually for me that you were fasting, and the implication clearly is that it, that it was not, that their motives were were selfish. so so in our service is is the motivation of our service, whether it's for our own um, self-gratification or self-glorification, or if our motivation is, is purely to honor and glorify the Lord and out of our love for him. So I think Zechariah, we, we see that the picture of the Christian life from repentance, forgiveness service love and then back to the overarching theme anticipating anticipating being united with him in his eternal kingdom
0: well you know we started off by talking about these two men who called on the people in that day and age to remember and zechariah's name which means the lord remembers and so even as we reflect We are remembering the promises of God that point to the future coming of our Messiah. So our remembering is not just backward looking, it is forward anticipating. And as our title describes for this particular episode, both of these great minor prophets point to the fact that the Lord, it will return. Steve, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I can't thank you enough for your willingness to serve the Lord in all the ways that He has gifted you but especially with us here at Lamb & Ministries as a very important part of our board of trustees. And so, for those watching today, I hope that you will remember what the Lord has promised to you personally and to all of us who put our trust in Him, that He is coming, that He will rescue us from the wrath to come, that He's preparing a place for us, and that we will be gathered together to dwell with Him forever. Until that glorious day comes, this is Tim Moore for Lamb & Ministries saying, Godspeed. Are you looking for a daily devotional that will draw you deeper into God's prophetic Word? A Closer Look at Prophecy by Richard and Tina Cleese is a wonderful devotional with insightful lessons for each day of the year about Bible prophecy drawn from the writings of experts like David Reagan, Henry Morris, Damon Duck, Noah Hutchings, David Jeremiah, John MacArthur Jr., Tim LaHaye, Thomas Ice, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, Terry James, Nathan Jones, and many others. Special symbols are used on each page to indicate the type of insight that is provided. Prophetic promises, prophecy fulfilled, prophecy basics, prophetic warnings, key prophetic verses, scientific foreknowledge, prophetic types, and Israel in prophecy. Call the number you see on the screen or go to lambline.com to get your copy of A Closer Look at Prophecy for a donation of $15 or more, and that includes the cost of shipping.